Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. In Christ's name. Everybody say amen. Hey, we got one scripture today. So does that mean that I'm going to preach for less than 45 minutes? No. That's all right. That's all right, though. I'm getting better, y'all. Not really, anyway. Um, hey, I got one for you. One for you today. Would you stand for the reading of God's word one last time? Maybe we could read it all together since it's in front of us. Um, I think this is NIV here, but if you have it, you can just go for it. Ready? Read. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord, y'all. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, one of the things that um, uh, uh, we are fastly approaching is that uh, to y'all weekenders, I know y'all this is not good news, but at some point we'll be moving back to morning worship. <laughs> and uh, all y'all, all y'all night owls, you know, y'all sad about that. But anyway, um, we will be moving back. One of the things that's been kind of weird and funky is just, um, as a, especially as a young pastor, is rhythms, you know, um, you know. Uh, when we switched um, in February, was our first Sunday Super Bowl Sunday? Yep. Yeah, it was Super Bowl Sunday like two years ago. We moved to 5 o'clock. And I remember, you know, I had this routine set up. I would wake up, you know, drink my coffee, do my last little, you know, gather my thoughts and prep. And then I beat out the house. And, you know, 9 o'clock, I'm setting up, I'm chilling, ready to welcome you at 10. And we would have our worship. And so when we switched to 5, um, I was kind of like Talladega Nights and Ricky Bobby. You know, it would be like 10 o'clock and I'd just be looking like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I, my body's used to doing something at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing now. And so I, it was just weird. And then finally, I was kind of 5 o'clock. My day's starting to wind down. I'm tired. I'm groggy. I'm like, and I just, and people's like, man, how'd it feel to be at 5 o'clock? I was like, I hated it. It's like, man, I had things going left and right in my brain. I didn't know what was going on. I was asking people, what did I say, actually? What, what was coming out of my mouth? And, you know, it was just weird. Yeah, but, you know, um, one of the things about beautiful Sundays, especially um, now that, you know, we are anticipating moving back, is, um, you know, preaching in the morning and then kind of having the rest of the day, going to church, have the rest of the day to kind of kick it. But here's what happens when I preach in the morning. I be tired. <laughs> so then after I preach, I come home and I'm just like. And they have to spoon feed me like, Dad, wake up. It's like, Dad, you want to go outside? No. Tim, you want to watch a movie? No. I don't know what I want to do. I just want to just, uh, I'm just kind of vegging out. Uh, so today, we had Vision Breakfast. Shout out Vision Breakfast, yeah. We entertained a whole nother group of 15, 20 folks who wanted to learn about the church. And so, it, once again, I came home and I was like, man, this is the perfect weather. It's like 80, little breeze is beautiful. It's like, man, I should go outside and enjoy this day. And I was like, no, let's go, let's, go, let's, go, let's go inside and lay down. And I was like, man. But then there was a tension because as I was laying down, I was like, I'm wasting this day. That gummit. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, since we are a culture that's kind of based on, we are uh, force-fed efficiency um, in not wasting things except for food, <laughs> all the other stuff. 
uh, we, we love to think about efficiency. And if you are an efficient person, and if you hate, how many of y'all hate wasting time and things? Well, this your message. I think it is. Because uh, what we want to talk about really is a, a life wasted or a life not wasted, right? And I want to reassure you, as Paul reassures the church at Corinthians, that the only guarantee to not wasting a life is laboring for the Lord. That the gospel has given you a promise because of the gospel and the resurrection of the death of Jesus. It assures believers that if they labor for the Lord, if they work for the Lord, it is a guarantee that it will not be in vain. And then maybe it it flips it on its head. Uh, Maybe it's also saying that because of the gospel and because of the resurrection, that only, everybody say only. Only the things which we labor and work for for the Lord will guarantee a return. And maybe the other things that we put our hands to surely will not assure us the same return on our investment as the Lord will. So it's really, I broke it up into a couple parts. Uh, There's a therefore. Everybody say therefore. That's a conjunctive adverb. Ask Trey. He'll tell you later. Maybe. But it's basically this figure of speech that's connecting uh, two, two basic passages, or it could be two sentences, could be two paragraphs. It's connecting two ideas, everything that kind of went before it and what's coming behind it. And so Paul starts 1 Corinthians 15, 58 by uh, saying, therefore, which means what do we need to do as good Bible expositors and readers? If you want to understand verse 58, what do you have to do? You got to go back. Right? You can't proof text 1 Corinthians 15, 58. You got to go back and make sure you got a good understanding of everything that came before. If we just took the immediate chapter context, then all we would know is this, to have at least a sufficient understanding of what, what he's about to say. Is that he started 1 Corinthians 15 by addressing this issue of the gospel and how it is related to the resurrection of the dead. He started, remember first, hey, remember the whole fast of this gospel that I preached to you, that you first received, by which you are being saved, that Christ Jesus died for our sins. Can I get an amen, somebody? That's your spot, right? You got to remember that, right, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he not only died, but what else did he do, y'all? He rose from the dead. And can we just, can we just uh, take that raising and rising from the dead and kind of just throw that away? Like that's just kind of, you know, uh, a fairy tale Christianity. But the real Christianity is that he died, from the, uh, died on the cross. No, the death and the resurrection have to go together, y'all. Remember we preached last week that he not only defeated sin, but he also defeated what? Death as well. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose, that you might have life and have it eternally, and that you might have it to the full. And he rose so that he could be the firstborn, the firstfruits of all the believers who he will eventually raise again. And yes, he will literally raise your body, that these carcasses were just the first forms in the latter glory. Oh, man, will come from the second Adam, who's a life-giving spirit, who's already gone before us, and he's given us a new body. Amen, somebody? Did y'all get happy last week? I got me some good happy last week. I was encouraged, right? So on that basis that Jesus has died for your sins, that he's raised, and that he will raise all his believers, he says, once again, to my dear brothers and sisters, I want to just be very clear for you. This is not a dear brothers and sisters, all of humanity. This is a dear brothers and sisters, those who eat the bread and drink the cup. 
And let me take it a step further. These are those who eat the bread and drink the cup and truly have said, Jesus, your life is mine. He says, I'm going to give you a promise. On the basis of that glorious gospel, my death and my resurrection, to my covenant family, those who've been united with me by faith, those who I say, may my favor be upon you. He then goes to a command. What's he say? You got it in front of you. You helped me preach today. Somebody get your black Baptocostal bolst on. Be steadfast. That's what I needed right there. I needed a steadfast anointment right there, right? He says, be steadfast. And your version might say, let nothing move you, but I love immovable. Be steadfast and immovable. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? Exactly what it says. It means be firm. It means be resolute. And I know we live in a generation of participation trophies. And baby, if you don't like it anymore, you don't have to do it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, if your boss not treating you right, get you another one. And I'm not judging you for how many jobs you didn't have in the last six months. If you had age, that's all you. That's your business. That's your business. Your past ain't getting in your business. You do what you got to do. But I'm telling you, inside the body of Christ, we breed them different now. The command, it's not a suggestion. The command is to be firm. The command is to be steadfast. The command is to be immovable, to be resolute. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? A lot of times, when we... Read warning passages in the Bible. We need to see the grace in them. Because the warning passages in the Bible, they give us a clue to where we are normally susceptible. So when the Bible says, be steadfast and immovable, it's really just trying to say, hey, you be flaky a lot. I know you don't like hearing it, but it's the truth. You be wishy-washy. Yeah, you know, you, y'all know y'all homegirl you call. Girl, you want to go to the movies? Yeah, girl. What, what day we going? Friday. Okay, I'll be ready. Friday afternoon you call. Girl, we, you still going to movies? Oh, oh. Well, he called me and I, well, I didn't give you a firm commit. I told you. I, you know the foe be wishy-washy. The Bible says all us the wishy-washy friends. We all it, y'all. We all be wishy-washy. That beautiful song penned by that great hymn writer. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You know, you got to pray your way through Christianity. (laughs) There's literally never a point where you'd be like, I'm good now. (laughs) No, y'all. No, no, no. This is what Paul is saying. That's why he's saying to his covenant brothers and friends. He's not saying to people who are unbelievers, who are outside of the family God. He's saying to the people who've made professions, who attend Bible study, who meet in the small group. He's saying to them, be steadfast, yo. Be immovable. Stay in there. Stay in there. Because he knows we can look cute on the outside and be drifting on it. Okay. Y'all don't fool. We don't fool anybody, and we certainly not fooling God. We could have seven different highlighters, but God know your heart. Come on now. I love this language in the Old Testament. It is my favorite scripture concerning flakiness. 
That God is, he's giving out assignments and directions for how things should function in the temple and the tabernacle. He says uh, to those leaders, he says, now, I'm literally going to put a, a tassel on your garment. Now, listen at this, Numbers 15, 39. And it shall be a tassel for you to look and remember all the commandments of the Lord. Let me just help you. It's a tassel extended on the garment. It's just a physical thing that just jingles. And every time it jingles and they look at it, they're to be reminded of the commandment of God. I go to Josh Warren's house, and I'm chilling, I'm kicking it. All of a sudden, I hear high pitch, beep, beep. I'm like, what is that? Oh, that's for my dogs. You so prone to wonder, Old Testament priests and servants, I got to put a little tassel right there. Just a little tassel. Just so every time you look down at it, you remind yourself of my commandments because this is what he says. I got to do that for you to remind you of my commandments, to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. (laughs) Any chance you get, you want to go rogue. Every chance you get, you want to go off script, y'all. And I'm not just talking to your crazy spontaneous pastor who just made up a service on the fly. I'm talking about us in our life with Jesus. And so when Paul is asking them to be steadfast and immovable, he's not asking them to bench 350-some pounds. What he's asking them to do is, based on what he's just preached, do not move away from the gospel and the hope of the resurrection. Don't do it, y'all. Stand firm in it. Right? Paul kind of keeps going. You see this in all of His other writings, Hebrews 4 and 14, which is not him, he says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 2 Timothy, as he writes to uh, his his protege, he says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching you have heard from me. Hold on to it. 2 Timothy 3, he says, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of. In his pastoral epistle to Titus and those who he was ministering to, he said he must hold firm about leadership. They must hold firmly to faithful word as it is taught. Hold firm, be steadfast, be immovable. And I got to be honest with you, this will be your greatest challenge in life. Just holding firm, just staying steadfast. But there's grace for that. But God doesn't just lead with the grace. Um, All y'all MTR folks, what do we call this positive reinforcement? When you got a little bad little Tim Johnson in the classroom, he don't want to do right. You guys are like, little Timmy, if you keep your hands to yourself and you sit in your square, and I've got a little candy at the end of the week. And I'd be like, my mama got candy. (laughs) 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 And then I get a whooping when the teacher tells me, like, oh, man. I just, I was a hopeless mess, y'all. Anyway, uh, but God. But, But I love this. He tells them to be steadfast and to be immovable. And he doesn't just immediately go to, because God's going to give you grace for it. He, first of all, he gives them another command, then he's going to give them a little nugget at the end. So here's the first command. He says, be steadfast, be immovable. And then he says, always abound in the work of the Lord. I think the ESV says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. How are we doing, y'all? That's a rhetorical question. You write it down. How are you doing in that? 
always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Well, I think to put it simply for the sake of time, I think anything that builds God's church up and advances his mission. Just write it down somewhere. I think it's simple. Anything that edifies the church and advances its mission. The Matthew 28. I told you, I preached a couple weeks ago. There's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of things, but that don't mean they're building God's kingdom. And you might be tired doing a whole lot of things, but don't mean you're getting tired working on God's kingdom. Paul says, I want you always. No, this is, that's strange because, Paul, you know I got a life. Paul, you know we got to bring in the crop. Paul, you know we got to get uh, Brother uh, Silas's donkey back to Barnabas over there. You know, Paul, we got things to do. Paul says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. So the goal is to build up the church of God and to advance his mission. Why do we do it? The motive is for the glory of God. And how do we do it? Not in our own strength, but with the character of God and with the energy of God that he supplies through the Holy Spirit. That's how we go about it. When I, when I kind of, in my notes, when I put that together, I was like, man, this looks like the opening paragraph of when you advertise for a job for a minister. It's like, hey, is there anybody um, who loves to give themselves fully to the work of the Lord? Who has a passion to build up God's church and advance his mission? Who wants to do things for the glory of God with the character of God and the energy of God? <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, this sounds like I'm, I'm, we're trying to hire somebody. But we're not. We're just calling for regular Christians. This is not for vocational ministers. This is not for people who want to do campus ministry. This is not for missionaries. This is for all of God's family. You don't get the out. We all have to bear up under this. And that's why I led this point with you asking yourself the question, how are you doing with always giving yourself fully unto the work of the Lord? Let's talk about that work. Because once again, everything is not the work of the Lord. And in America, we have a strange way of conflating ideas. I just want to tell you really clearly, the American dream is not God-inspired. And so you can get married, and you can have a family, and you can have a white picket fence, and you can have a four and a two and a half. But that does not mean that you are living in God's will. It does not mean you are doing the work of the Lord. As a matter of fact, sometimes you can achieve and be working against it. I think in America, we have, the problem inside the church, at times, our greatest enemy, and this is why Paul says to be steadfast and immovable, be resolute, is because we live in the middle of the world. This is why Jesus prays in John 17, keep them, God, because it's hard for us to maintain our cadence and our step when we're surrounded by so many things that don't believe what we believe. 
So the, the church is always having to fend off being carnal-minded. We always, we, we get influenced so easily. And get, I'm going to be honest with you, it's a hard thing. It is a hard thing. Like, Jesus, why can't we do what they do? What's wrong with taking the trip? What's wrong with having the, the marriage? What's wrong with loving who we want to love? What's wrong? What is wrong? Maintaining the distinctive is hard. And I just want to be on the lookout. Because though family is a beautiful thing, it's not our number one goal. And I know there's a fine line. I grew up in the generation where family's my first ministry. And, man, I, I do think that is beautiful. I do think there are some redeemable aspects of that. But you got to be really careful. Got to be real careful. I don't think Jesus is opposed to you advancing in your career. I don't think he's opposed to you in your upward mobility. But you got to be careful. I don't think Jesus is opposed to you having better health and taking care of your temple, but you got to be careful because the number one thing is to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because here's the carrot, y'all. Here's the carrot. Here's the carrot. Because what we do for the Lord is never, ever, ever, ever in vain. Man, I was listening to these podcasts about revolutions, and the one of the most saddest things is these people who literally have worked and lived in these horrible conditions for years, and, and they have plotted secretly, and they've done all these things to try to bring about systemic change and, you know, been in prison for 20 years, get out of prison, and then they get sent to exile for another 15 years, and then they lose their family. I mean, it's just wild. And, I, and I, I find myself like, man, and they never see the change that they're looking for. They do all that stuff and never see what it is that they're looking for. Can I just tell you, you could be a good parent, Tim Johnson, and take your kid all across this globe to every little tournament, to every little opportunity, every little thing. But what do you do when they're 21 and tell your daddy, I don't want to play ball no more? Some of y'all have seen it. Some of y'all are old enough to have pursued degree upon degree, upon degree, upon degree, career switch, career switch, and you're ready for another job. And what do you do with this amazing physique and the eating healthy? What do you do at 85? You still die. Only what we do for the Lord is guaranteed to have a lasting return on investment, y'all. This has been repeated all throughout Scripture, y'all. Matthew 6 and 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. How are you investing? Are you investing eternally or is all your investment on this side of heaven? 
all your time, all your, tre- your treasure, all your talent, is that just invested here or does that have an eternal focus? 1 Corinthians 3 and 8, he who plants and he who waters are one in purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are are God's fellow workers. Do you believe that, y'all? And you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, this is Paul speaking, and someone else is building on it. But each one must be careful how he builds, but each one must be careful how they build. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, his workmanship will be evident because of the day will bring it, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will prove the quality of each man's work. These next two weeks, we'll be preaching about fruit. John 15, next week, abiding in Jesus, our last, our second to last I am statement, that he's the true vine. But I think there are moments, and I'm certainly, I guess, in the age where you get those middle-aged people, late 30s, early 40s, who finally, they sit down and they've had enough years, enough decades behind them, and they start asking themselves that question, now what am I actually doing with my life? Neil, can I just tell you, I don't think you should actually just immediately run away from that question. You know, there's that moment of panic. I'm still in seminary, and, you know, sometimes I don't pay attention like I should. Sometimes I'll read the question, and I'll just start writing the paper. It'd be like a 15-page paper, and I get like eight pages through, and then I have that moment of like sheer panic. Uh-oh. I am not answering that question. <laughs> like, oh, just sheer fright just takes over like, oh, my God. And I'm sure there are moments like that for us that in our lives, and you know what? It appears to everybody out there like, man, they got a good little life, man. They trucking, they doing their thing. And, but inside we know it's like, man, what am I doing? Am I actually, do my life actually have value and meaning? I want to tell you, don't just run away from it, but I want you to let the promise of the one you are united with, I want you to let that encourage you. I want to tell you that your stations in life can change and they could change rapidly. One day you could be employed, next day you could be unemployed, one day you could be the doctor, next day you could be the nurse. That that doesn't matter as much as this, that you have a sheer promise that whether you are single, you are married, you have children or don't have children, you got money or you got a little, if you are working for the Lord, your life is not in vain. That is your promise. That is your promise. The one who forgave you and took those nails for you promises you, you will not have a wasted life if your life is fully devoted, fully devoted to building my kingdom and advancing my mission. That's the only way you can be sure. Bro, we took you to every camp. I bought you the gloves and the cleats to match. We just lost out on $250,000 over 10 years. 
That was a bad deal. Bad investment. What you do for him will last. And that might look different for all of us. It doesn't mean that you can't be the great soccer mom, but I think you still have to, you have to let the scriptures bear down on you. What does it look like for you, soccer mom, to be fully devoted? What does it look like for you, a physician, to be fully devoted? What does it look like for you, athlete? What does it look like for you, music? What does it look like for you, school teacher? What does it look like for you to be steadfast and immovable? What does it look like for you, freelancer? What do you do with your freedom? Is that just for self or is that for the glory of God and the advancement of his church? You're here with us. We apologize to our guests, but I hope you, hope you received that. A good word today. Wherever you're on your way back to, go somewhere. Be a part of some family of faith and to be steadfast and immovable for the king. Get yourself busy doing the work of the Lord. Get fully invested in the work of the Lord. It's guaranteed to have the return on the investment. But if you're here in this specific phase of the avenue, um, then you know we just bought a building. We just tell you the story the best I can. And there will be a, a document later that just really helps you if you need to, to see it. But essentially, we came here with a vision. Three and a half years ago, we came into this neighborhood um, because we just thought it had this wonderful potential um, to, to really magnify the beauty and the power of the gospel in crazy ways just to be an edge church between two different kind of communities and to bring all kind of people together, thuggers, doctors, homelesses, everybody sitting shoulder by shoulder doing life together, trying to exalt Christ together. We thought if we put it right in between these two intersections, man, we could see something beautiful happen. I remember I was in the barbershop getting my hair cut, and I was watching the uh, Miami, and the guy kept saying, the you, the you. And I was trying to figure out what's the name of this church. I was going to present it to our core family. And he's like, we knew early, before even we had foundational documents, that we wanted to put this church on Summer Avenue. It didn't make sense any other place. It's got to be on the edge, right, where both uh, all types of communities can access. And I remember sitting there in the barbershop getting that fresh fade. That's what we're going to name it, the Avenue. And I was hoping that my friends would love it, and they did. And we had a vision and a dream to bring, because of God's transforming grace in us, that flows through us, that we would bring some shalom to this area. And man, when we bought that building right at the corner, where all these worlds are colliding, I mean, it's just almost like it just came alive in my brain, which is I could just see the kids walking from Treadwell down the street to after-school programming. 
I could see the kids coming from University of Memphis straight down Highland to come and be with us. I could, I could see us, all the homeless people who are already on our property, having systematic ways to love on them and care for them and provide training. It's, it's there. It's so strategically located. And we knew we just could not pass that opportunity up. So in December, we bought it for $850,000. And here's the thing. Because of y'all's generosity and giving, we took $300,000 and put straight on it. Bang. Move forward. And now, here we are at the next phase. And now we're getting ready to try to occupy that thing. What we know is that we didn't buy a turnkey church. Amen. We didn't buy one. I, I was going to say something silly, but then I would, knew I would get 20 emails. So I'm going to stop. Praise God for the filter. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We didn't buy a turnkey church. And so in order for us to get in there safely, um, we have to do some, all the HVAC and mechanical engineering and plumbing. We got to do all that kind of stuff. Um, we're going to have to make sure that um, everything is abated and it's safe for you to get in there and, and stuff don't fall down on our heads. We got to make sure we bring the bathrooms back and we got enough so when y'all need to Go look, give little Johnny a little pepper on his leg. You know, you can do that, and you ought to do it in the service. You know what I'm saying? We got that going on. Uh, we, we, our offices and meeting spaces. So we got to do all that before we could just partially occupy it, okay? This will be a multi-year, multi-million dollar project. And in order for us to just do kind of those four things, we know that's going to probably be around 2.5 million bucks. That's okay, y'all. That's okay. That's okay. But here's what we need from y'all, is we just, there's no doubt. I told y'all last week, covenant members here, 130 givers, y'all literally raised $765,000 just in our general budget. You give, Avenue, and it's only because of that that we could even put that in front of you. But I will also just tell you this, too, that we believe the Lord is leading us and guiding us. And we will not put before you a project that we cannot finance. If we only raise one million bucks, that's all we'll do is a million bucks worth of work. We're not going to be bad stewards with your money. And if we, if we raise $4 million, we're going to keep rolling. But we will only do what God has through his providence provided to his people to do. And we'll let it be there. Amen? So we're not going to overtax this body. We'll let it be what it is. But here's where we need your help. I need everybody to pull out your phone. I think text message probably went out um, at some point. And um, if you would, just take a few minutes. Even if you're a visitor, I think there's an opportunity for you to um, designate that you are a visitor. You can fill it out too. Um, and uh, fill out that form for us. We need your information. Do not fuss at us about what we're doing at 3476 if you don't want to participate in this. I thought you were going to put a water slide. Well, you didn't tell us. So shame on you. 